Welcome to another edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast, where we highlight the stories and individuals that make sports in Virginia so special. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Hall of Fame, and it's my pleasure to bring the Hall Call Podcast to you wherever you may be listening. It's late August, which means one thing. Football is back. The NFL kicks off in earnest next Thursday with the Bears and Packers taking the field in Chicago. But for many, including myself, the season really gets underway this weekend as thousands of fantasy football drafts will take place and millions of players will begin their quest to become league champion, which basically is just bragging rights more so than anything. The roots of fantasy football, however, can actually be traced back to Oakland in the early 1960s and a part owner of the Oakland Raiders at the time, uh, Wilfred Winkenbach. I think they called him Bill the Gill. Uh, it's obviously come a long way since then with millions upon millions of people and more importantly, millions and millions of dollars involved. Joining us today on the Hall Call podcast is a senior fantasy writer for The Athletic, Jake Seeley. Jake is a Virginia Beach native and has new, won numerous industry awards for his work in the fantasy baseball and football realms. He's also a great follow on Twitter at AllInKid. Jake, thanks for joining us today. Anytime. I appreciate it. It's, it's been too long. I, I'm surprised we haven't done this yet. It's true. It, it has been a while. Jake, you actually helped us with one of our first events uh, in the Hall of Fame's new platform right. about two years ago about fantasy football. So that's kind of how we did it. <laughs> it was but funny. It was like, you're like, hey, do you want to be part of this panel? And it kind of almost turned into like, ask Jake questions. Pretty much, that's exactly <laughs> what it did turn into because people were there to learn about fantasy and get information for their drafts, which is basically kind of what I'm doing this one for today as well. But uh, just give the people a little bit of background on you. How did you first get into fantasy? What drew you to this world? Because it's completely different than the actual, hey, I'm doing I'm writing a column on the actual game. So the funny thing is that I've been a fantasy nut since high school. And the thing was, is everybody remembers playing Madden and all those video games. I was the guy who always enjoyed the off-season part of Madden, like the roster management and like making trades and going into the draft. And it always looks like the baseball games, the same thing. It's always just been that, like, when I grew up, I'll give you, like, when I was a kid type of thing, and people were saying, hey, what do you want to be when you want to grow up? It was never, I want to be a baseball player. It was, I wanted to be a baseball manager. Like, I'm serious. I want to be the manager of the Mets was what I was when I kid. So I've always had the desire. That job to, comes available every couple of years. So you still <laughs> got a shot. It's still not the best job in the world. <laughs> you know, all the expectations and they fail. But I was always that kind of guy. So when I was in college, what actually happened is you remember forums back in the day when yep. the internet was kind of, you know, newish. Uh, I, well, I was on a Giants forum and I was talking with a lot of fans and stuff like that. And then I was, played a lot of fantasy up to that point and people would start talking fantasy. So I would just jump into the conversation and then people seeing the fact that I was giving advice, somebody actually said, why don't you do this on the side? Like, why don't you write an article or something like that? So I started my own blog spot. If you remember that all in sports blog spot, dot blogspot.com. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's, I, it might still even be out there. And I just sent to my stuff to anybody and anybody that would listen. Uh, Tristan Cockroft at ESPN actually helped me out at this time because mm -hmm. we were semi-friends and we're, we're friends now. <laughs> we're like, we were just getting acquainted. It's blossomed since yes. then. Yes. And so it just, it's, uh, it was a side job for the longest time. And it's an extra, basically a 40, 50 hour side job to what I was doing regularly. And it just blossomed, as you said, and continued to grow to the point of my accuracy, my advice, everything working out. And now, like you said, senior writer of The Athletic, which is dream come true. This is my full-time job. Yeah, it's amazing to see. You know, I started playing fantasy. My first draft, I think, was in college back in the early 2000s. And, you know, you just see the popularity of the NFL overall. And, you know, there, there are many reasons for that. Just, the, you know, the, the limited amount of games that you have. It's 16 versus 162 or 82 right. for the other leagues. Uh, you know, the regionalism that, that can come from it. You know, even though we live in southeastern Virginia, the Redskins really kind of have a hold on this market. So there is a really regional nature to it. But 
gambling. And I know that fantasy football technically isn't gambling per se, but people put money into it. And so it is a gambling factor. And now you're bringing in players who aren't players that you root for on your team, but you're rooting for them to do well because you want to win your league. So it's just amazing to see how that's grown. And, you know, from the time that you began to the, to now, like what's been the biggest change that you've seen? Uh, for myself or from the industry? For myself, it's just, I'll get, I, I actually get less upset when the Mets and the Giants aren't doing well. Like, I'm actually distanced. <laughs> like, I don't even root for the Giants right now because of Gettleman. And the industry in the self is just, uh, as you mentioned, is not just the fact of how much it's grown. I mean, and now it's, we're talking like a billion-dollar industry mm-hmm. just from the number of teams and number of money invested. I think the biggest change that we've seen now is, like, the scoring of, we used to be non-PPR was quote-unquote standard. And now it's moving to full-point PPR, which I never like, half-point PPR. But just the fact that we're getting to the point of now three starting roster spots for wide receivers where it used to be two, 12 teams is now the norm instead of 10 or even eight, which there's still those kind of leagues out there. But I think, I I know it sounds like, oh, those are just like league setups. But my point being is that we've now moved to 12 being the common setup for league size, half point PPR, three wide receivers, and just the fact that the knowledge has grown so much that you're able to play in 12 team leagues instead of just, I can't even find seven people to make an eight eight team league. So that's the thing. It's just how big it's grown to what you're talking about. In the early 2000s, I was around the same time as you, and where I was trying to find a site to play on, and most of them were pay for. Now mm-hmm. there's like free sites anywhere you could turn to go play on the site that you like. Yeah, you know, and and you mentioned the the 12 team league, and I remember when I first started playing, I've always been in I think a 12 team league, and I used to complain about it because I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm drafting this guy, like <laughs> this guy in the 15th round. How is he going to make any any impact? But now, as you get older and you've done it, you realize that that's part of the strategy. Like that 15th right. guy, you're taking a flyer on him, or that 16th guy, you're taking a flyer, but they may end up making an impact on that team. And all you really need is for that one week, you, you never know. And so it's, it's been a ton of fun. How many leagues are you actually in? <laughs> Do so you I won't, know how many leagues you're yeah, actually so in? I won't count basketball because <laughs> basketball for everybody out there that doesn't know basketball is you just draft and leave it alone. It sets your roster for you every single week. So I'm in too many of those okay. because it's just draft and you're done and you yeah. don't have to worry about it. That's what's the best part about it. If you want those on the side, those are a fun, Real management where I have to do waiver moves and all that type of stuff. I always try to say I'm going to get it down to single digits. It never happens. I'm already up to 13. Last year, I was up to 20. I have a feeling I'm going to get close to that again, and I don't want to. <laughs> I just somehow, I actually have a spread. I need to hire an intern. I have a spreadsheet to remind me when all the waivers are just to make sure I don't miss them. Because, you know, one's Thursday at 2 a.m., one's Wednesday at 6 p.m. You just to make sure they don't ever miss waivers. An intern would probably be good. There are all sorts of sports management programs across the Virginia, <laughs> across true. Virginia colleges and universities. You could probably find one to help you out. Maybe, you know, get a little kickback just, just at the end. Just run my waivers. That's all I need. <laughs> just get a little <laughs> kickback at the end. Uh, what's the worst punishment for a loser you've ever seen? In that I've ever seen? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So, well, I mean, you've seen all the Matthew Berry stuff, but I, the one that I've ever seen in person was, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I'm going to say this, but let me make a preface. Like, this is not probably cool in PC these days, but going dressed in a dress to work, like the full day of work. And now I understand, like, the world that we're in now, like, that'd be, like, probably, like, oh, you can't do that anymore. But, you know, back in five years ago, six years ago, you know, dressing in a dress in general, like, I don't care if you want to or not. I'm not going to work in a dress just because I'm not going to feel comfortable with, like, my stuff. Just I think I quit the league before I did that. Before you do that? Maybe maybe a tattoo, even though I don't have tattoos. See, that's what I was going to say. Don't do the tattoos. I like the license plate idea. I like license plate ideas. That's a good one. Like, you know, I I heart Nickelback or something like that. Yeah, because, I mean, that's at least one year. Yeah, and then you change it. Then you change it. Please don't do the tattoos. No, that's definitely not my thing. Uh, Well, let's actually get into 
talking fantasy? about players and fantasy. And, you know, because I, I got to take my notes because, like I said, I have my draft on, on Sunday night. But obviously the biggest news in football this past week has been Andrew Luck. Now, I know that quarterbacks aren't quite as valued highly as they were, say, maybe 10, 12 years ago. But what did Andrew Luck retiring do to the quarterbacks ranked in front of him, the quarterbacks ranked behind him, or any other player that was kind of in that area that you saw him drafted? So, yeah, quarterbacks is definitely it's it's it's, at this point, if you're not waiting, you're probably not doing yourself the best service just because it's not even just that you only have to start one and that diminishes the value of what you get elsewhere. But it's the fact that how flat the position is. Now, Patrick Mahomes is a leg up on everybody else. But once you get to QB, if you go look last year, I think it was QB six is, I think, around to QB 20 was less than two points per game per week. So you're less than two points difference of you're drafting six to 20th quarterback. So that's the biggest thing is how flat it is. Well, and you so even he, mentioned Patrick Mahomes, and he's obviously the best quarterback in the league, league MVP, but he's still only 39th on your overall rankings. Right. Because so that's kind of to your point. Because I will draft him, that's around late, that's early fourth. <laughs> I, I would think about it late third because, you know, if you want to do it late third, I'm not going to complain too much because you just want to make sure you get your guy or whatever. But most people are taking him in the second round. And that's just not the investment I'm willing to take. For your point about Andrew Luck is Patrick Mahomes is still there. Patrick Mahomes, he was actually three, almost four points per game just over number two last year. Number two, depending on your league, was Matt Ryan or Ben Roethlisberger. So that was why he was such a big value last year, especially because you were getting him late. This year, to still spend that on the third, he has to be what he was last year. The Andrew Luck situation, all he did was kind of push up Carson Wentz for me into that tier of Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and stuff like that. Uh, the biggest factor for Andrew Luck as a whole is not so much even the quarterback position because, again, how flat it is. It's just what he did to everybody else on that team. Everybody else has to take a step back because you go from projecting 40-plus passing touchdowns to about 28, maybe 30 best-case scenario for Brissett, and that just decreases everybody. Well, that was going to be my next question. A guy like Brissett who... You know, he he had the year where he played, I think, 15 games, 2017, and he did okay. I mean, that was his first real action. This team, I think, is much better than that right. team. So does that raise his value at all, or is he still kind of a, he's going to be my quarterback when my number one has a bye? Yeah, it's pretty much that's all you should be thinking about. Look, he could surprise, let's be honest. And if you hear the reports from him and from the team, is that he's been in the locker room in the film room with the team practicing extra time on the field with the coaches. Like he's doing everything because he wants to get better. That's, that's really good to hear at the same time. He has a really nice arm, but as you mentioned, what we've seen from him, it was mediocre play. So again, you brought up a great point. He didn't have the offensive line that he has now that they spent so much in trying to draft capital and everything like that. But the biggest thing too, is he had T Y Hilton and Jack Doyle, but he didn't have Paris Campbell and Devin Funches and Deion Kane wasn't helped. Well, actually Deion Kane wasn't even on the team. Uh, he didn't have Eric Ebron. He didn't have Marlon Mack. He didn't have Naheem Hines. So he has an entire basically new offense around him outside of T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. So I think we'll see better numbers, but we're obviously not going to see Andrew Luck numbers. So when it comes down to it, maybe he's somebody that you want to take in a super flex. That's where you can start a quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, or running back at that position. That's an upside because he will run some. But to your point, I don't think we're expecting anything more than maybe like a fill-in unless he just shocks everybody, which I'd put the odds against. How much research do you actually have to do on when you're putting these rankings together? You know, you just mentioned all the weapons that are now there, you know, as opposed to just looking at the player themselves, you know, like a Drew Brees, do you take into account the fact, oh yes, he also has Michael Thomas. He has Alvin Kamara. He has these guys who, you know, are going to catch balls. Do you look at drop rates? Do you look at the offensive lines? Like how much research goes into the players around the player when it comes to putting the rankings together? An insane. <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example. So Kirk Cousins, when he signed with the Vikings, 
the first thing I did when I went and looked at it is I looked at his accuracy throwing to the slot and throwing to the outside. And if Redskins fans remember, Kirk Cousins is much better throwing to slot and short wide receivers than he is throwing outside. And when the, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, those balls picked and going the other way. Exactly. <laughs> and my biggest complaint about Kirk Cousins too, is that sometimes he would ignore the safe throw to take that aggressive throw. You remember mm-hmm. some of them, Jordan Reed would be over the middle of the field with nobody around him. And he would pass him up to throw the extra 10 yards downfield to somebody who's triple covered because that's because he doesn't throw well deep and outside. So what I did when I said, I was like, if Adam Thielen is in the slot, Adam Thielen is going to have a great season better than Stefan Diggs. If Diggs is playing outside, conversely, if they flip, then Stefan Diggs would be better. And that's the kind of research that goes in is it's not just the talent around him, but it's how the talent fit the player he's playing with. Jacoby Brissett is not Andrew Luck. So Jacoby Brissett, so far his strength, you could say, is the short game. Well, that's not helpful to T.Y. Hilton or even probably Devin Funches outside. So it's all these type of things that you got to go through, and it's not just statistical. I do 50-50. I always say if you're doing one without the other, you're only hurting yourself. It's film and statistics. One needs to back up the other. And so, like I said, it's hours upon hours upon hours. It's, I mean, people, some, you know, one, one person asked me how much work goes into my projections. I couldn't even tell you. I, I spent so much time in the offseason, months and months and months of it, that I would easily say it's in the hundreds, maybe even thousands. Well, that's why we rely on you because the <laughs> I rest save of you us, the work. you save us the work, you know, QBs. Now this is my perspective this year. Just looking at it. I don't remember a year where so many top QBs in the NFL are coming into the season with question marks, Aaron Rodgers, new coach. Um, we just talked about Patrick Mahomes. He lost Kareem hunt. Uh, the Tyreek Hill situation, you just never know at the NFL that could that could come back. But Drew Brees, Tom Brady, another year older. Cam Newton, injured. Carson Wentz, coming back from another injury. Baker Mayfield, is there a year to regress? Ben Roethlisberger, no AB or Le'Veon Bell. Right. Looking at the quarterbacks, what is my strategy? What is somebody's strategy going into the draft this year? Because as we talked about earlier, Mahomes and Watson are the only two in your top 50. But then you have these other really big names who've had success in kind of that that third, fourth, fifth, sixth round range. But there are questions, severe questions surrounding them. So what's the strategy this year? It's kind of twofold. So i got to put real quick. I'm going to play a little trivia for for fancy. (laughs) Do you know who the top quarterback for the last five weeks of last season was? Last five weeks of last season. That's going to be Phillip Rivers? No. Uh, Josh Allen. Josh, Josh Allen didn't even throw for over 230 Josh yards. Josh Allen in those for games. Buffalo didn't throw for 230 under every under. single game. So he's running then, obviously. And that's the biggest thing. And that's the reason I bring that up is and I'm not saying Josh Allen's going to be the number one quarterback. I'm just bringing up is running because of how scoring is in fantasy football is so supremely valuable at the quarterback position. That's what makes Lamar Jackson appealing. That's what makes Kyler Murray as a rookie appealing. They're talking about Lamar Jackson potentially being in a thousand yard rusher. Right. At the and quarterback position, which he, hasn't been done since Michael Vick. And well, and let's talk about the Redskins. Let's go back to Robert Griffin. When he threw for or threw, threw for about, I think it was what it was 3,300, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. But he ran for 800 yards and he was a top three quarterback because that's all it takes is you just have to be a mediocre quarterback. I just talked about Josh Allen. Josh Allen was throwing for around 200 yards a game when he was the number one quarterback in fantasy. Because if you're running for that much, you get one point for 10 yards versus one for 25. So that's the big here. And what I'm going to say and why I bring that up for this position is because once you get past those top guys, and I'll include Baker Mayfield in those top guys, I'm considering Baker Mayfield, Carson Wentz, all those ones that you mentioned, there's questions uh, in the seventh, eighth round. They're probably going to go before that. So what I'm going to usually do is wait and take either a Kyler Murray or even a question mark on Cam Newton or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, because guess what? If those guys bust completely, 
you can go to the waiver wire and go find Philip Rivers and Kirk Cousins because those guys are generally not drafted. Even Tom Brady, they're generally not drafted. You can go find those safe options. If you want to take them as your last pick, just to back yourself up. But at quarterback, what I would do is look at Patrick Mahomes from last year, and nobody's ever going to replicate that. That's, that's once-in-a-lifetime type of quarterback situation. But just shoot for the upside because you want that upside because the quarterback, again, it's so flat. You have fallback options if it busts. So Josh Allen, that's an interesting one because that that's uh he's not a guy that's you know the the sexy name per se. No. But if he's putting up the points, is he running for his life or is he running because he sees openings and he has the ability to run? We know Lamar Jackson will run because that's a part of his game. Is the running aspect a part of Josh Allen's game? 100%. He's actually very much like Cam Newton. People don't look at that and part of his perception. I mean, and like, let's be realistic. You know what the perception is. It's a white guy. <laughs> white guys don't run that much. Aaron Rodgers, back at his peak when he was running, he was running for three, 400 yards a year. And that was what, you know, put him into that top tier of like, hey, he's throwing for 4,000 some odd yards, 35, 40 touchdowns, but he's even adding three or 400. Like, Andrew Luck used to run two, 300 yards. So Josh Allen, that's actually part of his game. It's always been part of his game. And I think the Cam Newton comparison is very, very, uh, it's an astute one that anybody's ever made out there. So look at Cam Newton. Cam Newton has never thrown 4,000 plus yards. He had the one really good season. I think it was 3,900 and change, or it might've been right around 4,000. Anyway, the point being is Cam Newton's usually around 35, 3,600 yards, 28-ish touchdowns. If Allen falls right in that range. All of a sudden now he, again, he will be a top five quarterback. I'm not thinking it's going to happen because he's a terrible thrower <laughs> accuracy wise, but that part of the game, it is that that is who Josh Allen is. He is Cam Newton. That's kind of that next level stuff is looking at, you know, past the, the measurables that we see of the big arm, the big quarterback size, but is he able to generate some yards and potentially some scores with his, with his legs? <laughs> Just so, I said this Taking when he came notes, in, Josh uh, Allen, potentially when, when he mark? came out of college, this is what I said about him. He said, you know, you, you always hear that he can fit it into a window. That's so I was like, Josh Allen has the arm to throw it through a peephole of a door. But the problem is he can't hit the door. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> that's some astute observation. <laughs> Talking about players who actually do run for their livings and their lives. There are two in particular. Zeke Elliott with the with the Cowboys and Melvin Gordon with the Chargers. Now they're both kind of dealing with holdout situations. Are they holdouts? Are they not? We don't really we won't really know until week one. Right. Both of them were top ten overall point producers in fantasy last year. Yet this year you have Zeke at number two overall behind Saquon Barkley, and you have Melvin Gordon at thirty two overall, and that's just in the running backs. Right. What's the difference between these two situations? And are you leaning on some information from your colleagues at The Athletic <laughs> that you're not sharing with the rest of us? No, let's be honest. Nobody out there knows. Nobody does. And I don't even think the Cowboys know. We've seen Jerry Jones change his tune by the day. And the, the truth is, I still think something gets worked out with Zeke Elliott. I think he's too smart. The team's too smart. The team is a contender. The Chargers are, too. The team's a contender, and Jerry Jones is willing to pony up. He's already talked about paying Dak and paying Amari Cooper. and he's already They've paid. already paid Jalen Smith. Exactly. So... I think something gets worked out. At this point, it might not look like it's week one, but I'll go back to a couple of seasons. You brought up Le'Veon Bell before. Le'Veon Bell, not the year he set out, but Le'Veon Bell when he was suspended for the first couple of games. The first couple of weeks are the easiest weeks to make up. And if we knew, if I told you today, we knew Ezekiel Elliott was showing up week four. He's missing the first three games. The replacement running back you can find for the first three games, plus Zeke from that point on, will still be a top five running back. So you back. would still take Zeke at two overall? Probably three. Okay. If I knew he was out till week four. But he'd, I still, he'd still be a first-round right, pick. Right. If he was only missing one game, I'd still take him at two. Okay. Uh, if he was missing two games, I'd probably still think about it. Let's look at Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley last year was the number one running back. Barely beat out Barkley, despite missing those games at the end of the season. And that's the upside you're looking for Zeke. 
Problem with Melvin Gordon is I don't think Melvin Gordon is coming back until potentially midseason. Maybe he has to be back for six games to get that year. And we could be looking at week 11 before he's back. And that's why I have Melvin Gordon where I do. Is I legitimately think he holds out. Michael Robinson from Richmond, from here. I actually saw him at the Tomlin night and was talking to him. And he goes, I love Melvin Gordon. He's my boy, but he's not worth 13, 14 million a year. He said, he said that. He said that on my podcast. And the problem is he's dead set and wanting that money. The Chargers are thinking like Mike Robinson. I'm like, no, we're not. We're three million apart per year. And I don't think that gap's going to close. And I think Melvin Gordon is more likely to sit out at least six, eight, maybe 10 games. You know, and the Chargers and Cowboys, this is more of a football you know, note, but the Chargers and Cowboys are in two completely financial situations. People forget that the Chargers aren't necessarily cash rich right. because they play in a, what, a 28,000 seat stadium. So that's they the only revenue help. that they're drawing from right now. And they don't even sell that out. So yeah, they get the TV money. They get all of the, you know, the revenue sharing, but as far as the gen- the money that they generate on their own, they're nowhere close to what the Cowboys are generating. So coming near the salary cap and any penalties there. Also, um, even though you said with the salary cap, I'm glad you brought that up because somebody said something to me this offseason, which I never even realized as much as I cover the NFL. He said the cap basically means nothing. He said cash flow is what matters. He goes, this is why you see teams like the Browns for the past couple of years sitting on 40, 50 million per year and not spending in a free agency, whereas you have the Cowboys pushed up, the Redskins pushed up against the cap and looking like they're going to go over the cap. So the cap means nothing. You can you can manipulate the cap every single year. It's the cash flow. So to your point, that's why it's a completely different situation. The Cowboys can technically kind of go over the cap and manipulate things. To your point about the Chargers, they probably don't have that kind of money that they want to spend. So where where are you seeing, you have Melvin Gordon ranked, I think, in the 70s overall, 32nd best running back. Where right. are you seeing him drafted right now? Often in, in a lot of the drafts. Fourth. And I'm just not willing to do that because, again, I'm really hesitant and I really don't know that he's back before the middle of the season. In the middle of the season, now we're talking about, that's tougher. That's You're not only hoping he comes back earlier, but you're, it's not a spot that you can stash on your IR. He's taking up a bench spot that could potentially be a lottery ticket. James Conner was a last round pick last year. Phil, actually, Patrick Mahomes was almost a late round pick last year, or last round pick last year. Phil Lindsay was last round and often undrafted. I'd rather take that gamble than to go into fourth round. Now, if Melvin Gordon falls, as you said, I mentioned my rankings. If he's there in the sixth round, now that I have two and two at wide receivers and running backs, maybe even a tight end, maybe three wide receivers, then I can jump in. But I don't want to invest a fourth rounder on him at this point. It could, hey, if he signs and all of a sudden he's out there by week three, though, you made out. I mean, you, you win. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's another guy out there who we know is going to miss some of the, the season, and that's Kareem Hunt. He's suspended, I believe, the first eight weeks uh, for off-field issues. Now, you have him ranked down at 174 overall, which is in that 15-16 range. Yep. You know, is that a value player? Should you maybe just wait for the draft to end and see if you can pick him up on waivers? Just don't even waste your time picking him up. No, because like I said, you're wasting a spot and you're wasting a spot for a long time over half the season because you also have their buy to take into account that he's going to make their week 12 buy. So even after he comes back, he's going to miss another game after that just because of their buy. You're waiting a hell of a long time for that. Or uh, actually, is it week 12? Anyway, the bye week's in there. You're missing an extra game on top of it. I forget the exact Browns bye week. But on top of that, Nick Chubb is an immense talent. He's amazing. And I do think the concern why I have Chubb a little bit lower, I've actually got a little pushback on that. It's not that I don't love his talent. I've said when he came out of college that people forgot before he blew out his knee, people were saying he might be better than Todd Gurley, who he replaced in college. It's the fact that now when Kareem Hunt comes back, that's the fancy playoffs time. You're just about to get into it. It's the final couple weeks of the season and your fancy playoffs. The Browns, hopefully for their sake, real NFL life, are hoping to be in the playoff contention. If you're in the playoff contention and Nick Chubb is going to be playing well, I expect, they're going to probably look at it and say, you know what? 
instead of killing them the last couple of weeks, we now have a legitimate number two behind them who could be a number one on most teams. I don't think it's going to be a 50-50 split, let's be clear, but I do think Kareem Hunt takes a few touches to keep Nick Chubb healthy. And why are we going to give him 25 touches when we can give him 17 and make sure he's healthy for our playoffs? And that's why Chubb's a little bit lower. But even this, so what I'm saying about Kareem Hunt is he's just going to be a role player. He's going to get seven, maybe 10 touches per game. That's not somebody you probably even want to start in fantasy. Let's talk about the rest of the uh, the Browns skill players. I mean, they're, they're, I can't believe that, you know, this is the Cleveland Browns that we're talking it's about. Guy, it is exciting for Cleveland fans and even for football fans, but Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku at tight end. Uh, we just talked about Hunt and Chubb. Is there enough to go around to satisfy where you have all of these players ranked? Cause you have some of them fairly high, yes. but you know, is there, is there's only one football, right? Now, Baker Mayfield is the only guy who touches that on every single play. So is there enough to go around to really justify re drafting some of these guys with high picks? There is. There always is. And I'll go back even a couple of years to 2016. Derek Carr and the Raiders, people would be like, oh, there's one ball. And that's the, that's the epitome of there's only one ball. I mean, how much is Derek Carr going to make value on it? Well, guess what? That year with Derek Carr in 2016, I bring up 2016 because Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree were both top 15 wide receivers. And I know that's only two and we're talking about four. But my point being is, we expect Baker Mayfield to throw for the mid-4,000s. We expect him to throw for mid-30 touchdowns, potentially even push 40, mostly because of the Odell Beckham arrival. There is plenty to go around. The one concern I do have is with Jarvis Landry because I did a study on him last year, and he's been remarkably consistent over his career on a points-per-target basis. It's basically like, this is Landry's going to get this many targets. You can do the math and figure out how many fancy points he should get because even when he increased his touchdowns, it was funny because the yards fell back. He's been very much like a one-to-one-to-one. -to -one -to -one. Targets equals receptions and yards to equals fantasy points. So I have a little bit of concern, and that's why he's not even a wide receiver. He's just outside wide receiver three for me. And I think Njoku obviously has a little bit of concern. Like, he's not going to be on that Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, and especially not even that top tier with Kittle and Kelsey and everything. I'd say there's going to be some inconsistencies there. But Odell Beckham is a lock. Nick Chubb is a lock. Baker Mayfield is a lock. And Baker Mayfield is one of the few quarterbacks that could push for 40, 45 touchdowns this year, obviously. I will say this, in this kind of situation, um, I always say buy the cake, not the icing, and that's Baker Mayfield. <laughs> but you can't have one without the other, right? <laughs> no, you can. Hey, look, I, the reason I bring that up is because there's some teams where you don't know from like week to week to week because the options aren't as clear as this. Odell Beckham is definitively the number one. Like there's some teams where there's, like a perfect example, let's go to the Cardinals. I can love, I love Christian Kirk, but at the same time, that's not a guarantee. That's far, but so instead of trying to figure out, is it going to be Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, Keyshawn Johnson, like whatever, buy Kyler Murray. He's the cake. Just buy the cake. Stop figuring out the icing later. So that's, that's the point there, but there Save is some money too. You just buy yeah, the batter. You don't need to get the icing. True. Yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah. You could just scoop it out of the bowl. Forget, yeah, why even draft it? capital? Yeah. <laughs> um, for Redskins fans, Darius Geis or Adrian Peterson? Darius Geis. I'm a big, I'm a huge yeah. Darius Geis fan. I love them coming out of college. I said that the guy he replaced, Leonard Fournette, he's better than him. And just like Leonard Fournette, people, a lot of people didn't realize who didn't watch him. He's a better pass catcher because LSU still runs an offense from like 2001 where they don't throw to the running backs. Like, get with it, LSU. The old horse and carriage yeah, offense. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, you can, you're allowed to pass to the running back. So Darius Geis, all my question with him is health. And I put him in a comparison to last year's Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook took to the middle of the season. And then once he got to the middle of the season, we saw what 100% Dalvin Cook looks like. Darius Geis' timetable is almost two months ahead of that. So ideally, he should be close to Dalvin Cook by about week one. I don't think, obviously, it's going to be week one. That's why they re-signed Adrian Peterson to bring him in slowly. 
But I'm drafting him as my third running back, and a lot of people are not even wanting to invest that. I have no problem investing that because I think by week three, four, somewhere around there where he is now 100% comfortable not thinking twice about his knee or anything like that, I think you're looking at a top 20 running back. He is that good. Well, and a lot of people now, particularly with the the one flex or the two flex positions that some leagues play, I mean, they'll be playing three or four running backs, yes. so that value is definitely there. Um, <clears throat> moving on to wide receivers. It's it seems like at the top it's it's the same it's the usual suspects DeAndre Hopkins Julio Jones Odell Beckham Antonio Brown Juju Smith Schuster but I think the biggest question mark and and that's not just me saying this but it's probably everybody is Josh Gordon right. you know it's it's a tale as old as time he's reinstated in the NFL again but he's his talent still has him ranked in a fourth or fifth round pick in the draft is is that worth it or is that just like you know what. Find it somewhere else. Let that be somebody else's problem. If it works out for them, that's the risk reward of fantasy football. It's the risk reward. And I'm willing to gamble in like maybe the fifth round because as you mentioned, it's the talent, but there's two things here. The reason it's even a fifth round gamble and not a second or third round value is because that one great giant season, 2013, that's a long time ago. ago, Like, let's be realistic. If you look at Josh Gordon since then, there's been some flashes that that talent is still there. But it's been a long time where he hasn't had a full season. He hasn't played a full season since his rookie year. If you look at Josh Gordon as a whole, we know the talent. We know that they need an opportunity for somebody to step up in the number two role in New England. They have Julian Edelman, but Gronk is gone. Nikhil Harry's not looked very good since being drafted by this team. And then there was talk about Maurice Harris, who just got cut. Jacoby Myers is a rookie who is still transitioning from the quarterback position. There's just a lot of questions on this team. They need somebody. They need Josh Gordon. But as you mentioned... It's not just Josh Gordon and his ability to stay on the field health-wise. It's Josh Gordon and his off-the-field issues. And you've got to take that into account. Do you want that risk? And I understand the upside. The upside is legitimately a wide receiver one. But I didn't project him. The reason he is where he is is because I didn't project him for 16 games. I think that's foolish. I projected him for 10. And I think that's a reasonable expectation to bake in risk. You know, maybe he plays 12. But I'm baking in risk with him. And the one thing I will say, and I talked about Leonard Fournette, and I'll kind of tie this into like a roster construction thing, is if you draft Leonard Fournette, probably don't draft Josh Gordon. If you draft Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette, again, don't draft Melvin Gordon and Josh Gordon. Like within the first five or six rounds, you can take one. Don't take two gambles where you could potentially lose two of your first don't six take rounds. take four players where right. you're losing 16 games. You're right. losing a whole season because you're I mean, drafting. You can list. start your draft off with Zeke, Josh Gordon, <laughs> Melvin Gordon, Leonard Fournette, and Darius Geis if you want. And Looks you might on paper. Yeah, you might be done with looking at baseball by November. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do we do with the rest of the Patriots receivers? Because five years ago, this is a great receiving core. Josh Gordon, Demarius Thomas, uh, Julian Edelman. Yeah. But we know how the Patriots play. I mean, it, it is, it's honestly, it's next man up. And if, if you're not playing this week, say Josh Gordon doesn't play this week, well, the next guy could step up and he could have that 20-point game. And next thing you know, you're on the bench. What do we do with the Patriots receivers if you're looking at them in the mid-rounds? Yeah, so I think, well, Julian Edelman, I think, is undervalued right now. I think he's legitimate wide receiver one. And actually, he was last year in the 12 games he played after he came back from suspension. People don't realize that he was a wide receiver one from that game on so i'm looking at julian edelman as a value because nobody's drafting him as a wide receiver one josh gordon we just mentioned after that the one i would roll the dice on is maybe jacoby myers he's a legitimate talent again somebody that's transitioning to show what he's shown so far already i mean well it's similar to terrell Pryor, but he's even a little bit more polished than terrell Pryor was but i will say it's not even the wide receivers the biggest overlook here in my opinion is james white James White was an RB1 last year, RB1, just because of his receiving numbers. Actually, if you take out James White's rushing numbers last year, he was still a top 20 running back. If you just put him at wide receiver, I think he was just receiving numbers, wide receiver. I think he was like wide receiver, like 25 or 26 or something like that. Like James White 
is technically kind of their third receiver. And I think that people are forgetting that. And I'm seeing him going in the middle of rounds. It's like, don't you remember what just happened last year with James White? He's not going anywhere. That's kind of the inverse value that we were talking about with the quarterbacks. So like the Josh Allen, the Lamar Jacksons, their value actually comes from doing something non-traditional. Same with James White. He's not going to get you that 1,200 yards rushing, but he may do 1,000 and 1,000 on running and receiving. So exactly where, where you value that, are you looking at the whole picture as opposed to just the position he plays? Right. So, you know, 300 yards, but eight, 900 receiving that, that, Hey, that's still 1200 yards. Yeah. It's definitely a a great thing to look at. So where would you draft somebody like James White? James White. I have no problem drafting James White in the fifth round as my third running back. Or even maybe my second running back. If I went three wide receivers to start, obviously playing in a half point and full point PPR, those two formats, if you're playing a non PPR, he's going to take a hit. That's the truth is because those receptions add up when you're playing in either format. So if it's a non-PBR, you probably think about it more like the seventh or the eighth round. What about tight ends this year? Obviously, Gronk uh, retiring. It's not as star-heavy as it's been in the past. There's a lot of young guys with potential, but yeah. it's it's dominated by Kelsey, Ertz, uh, maybe Evan Ingram. But beyond that, it just seems like there's a lot of guys that we're waiting to maybe take that next step. So what is your view of the overall tight end structure this year? It's funny. It's like I'm skipping the first tier and often going after the second tier. And the first tier for me is Ertz, Kittle, and obviously Kelsey. Kelsey, some people are even taking in the first round. I just don't want to... Does a healthy Garoppolo... I mean, Kittle had a great year last year, but does a healthy Garoppolo Garoppolo raise his value? I don't know if it raises his value. I Honestly, it might decrease his value. Like, I, that's the one thing I've been saying about the 49ers. Look, we're putting a lot of assumptions on what Garoppolo is first as a quarterback, period. Like, yeah. And a lot of that's coming over from the Patriots mystique. I mean, remember Matt Castle and how great he was supposed to be everywhere else? And he showed flashes there, but... There's a lot of Garoppolo that even if you go back two years with those starts, he didn't have the touchdowns. He had the yards, but the touchdowns weren't clicking. It was also at the end of the season. And it was I mean, a different they, they roster. Were a bad team. They right. won five games at the end of the season. See, so this is all the kind of stuff that you have to take into yeah. when you're building projections. It's a great point. So there's players he hasn't played with. He has a rookie in Debo Samuel. I mean, Dante Pettis has need motivation so far. Marquise Goodwin on and off. On, just two weeks ago, he might be a roster cut. Now all of a sudden he's the starter. So there's a lot of questions on this roster. Kittle should just be Kittle. And I think he's fine by that, whether or not Garoppolo hurts him a little bit or maybe even improves his value. I think it'll settle about what we saw last year. He's basically their number one, and there's no question about that. So those three going in the first two early third rounds, I'm not going to jump on because I think Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, who you mentioned, and O.J. Howard are talented enough that they're going to push that tier. They're going to get close enough to it that where you're taking them in the fifth or the sixth round, you're getting those extra two or three rounds of cost to build your running back and wide receivers that the drop-off isn't as severe as it would be at running back and wide receiver. So I'm looking there. If I miss on all six of those guys, I'm skipping the whole next tier. I don't want Jared Cook. I don't want uh, who Eric Ebron. Well, Eric Ebron just fell off because now Brissett's uh, at quarterback. I mentioned it, David Njoku. You're laughing at Jared Cook. Jared Cook has never been on one of my fantasy teams. He is the worst player in fantasy football. Because I think I may have had him a couple of years ago, and he had a nice little three-game run for me. But when, was, got me but when was it? If you want to tell me when his six good games are, I will own him. I'll own him for those six I'll weeks. I'll have to do research and find him. <laughs> but that's the problem. Yeah. With the Saints, maybe it's going to be eight games. But we know that Drew Brees will throw to Taysom Hill or Josh Hill or back when Huminamana who he was with that team like so the fact is it's just like i i hate jared cook so i'll never go i'll go into that next group i'll go with the mark andrews of the world who's a great talent for the ravens i'll go i'll draft chris herndon and wait the four weeks and fill in with the delaney walker who's now back and healthy and i understand he's coming back for an injury but delaney walker was a top five tight end year after year after year after year so i think those are the guys i'm looking at if i miss out so i was basically skip tier one go to tier two if i miss all that i'm going right past number three down to four and my favorite in four is actually Vance McDonald. And I know there's been talk about he's not going to be on there for all the snaps and all that. 
don't get too caught up in that because the one thing, if you look at snap counts and target share and all that type of stuff, those are two things that go together. When Vance McDonald's on the field, snap count wise, he's 90%, 95% of the time running routes. So it's okay that he's not on there. So he's not the blocking tight end. He's actually out there in the field, in the outfield, going after the ball. Um, That's great news. I'm taking notes as I go (laughs) on all of this. Uh, Give me, give me two or three players that are this year's James Conner, a player that's in the, that's ranked above a hundred, maybe even outside of the top 200, that's going to make an impact and potentially even get into the top 40 or 50 by the end of the season. Does it have to be a running back? It doesn't have to be a running back. It can be any player. I have a couple wide receivers that I love this year. I mentioned Christian Kirk before. I actually think he's the number one on this team. I was a big fan of Christian Kirk coming out of college. And if this offense is going to succeed that everybody expects it's it's going to be with Cliff Kingsbury and Colin Murray and all that type of stuff and whatever it might be, Christian Kirk can not only play outside more than people expected, but as of today, he's their number one. He's surpassed Larry Fitzgerald as long as he's 100%, which he's looked so far. I have him inside my top 25 wide receivers. He's not going there. People are taking him outside the top 100. He could finish there. Another one, D.D. Westbrook for the Jaguars. If he had a really nice finish, or he did have a really nice finish the last year, and if people are forgetting that he did, and if people are overlooking the Jaguars, they brought in Nick Foles, and they have the whole system that they're starting to pull from the Eagles, who made Nick Foles look really good, and they're pulling a lot. From he did that win Eagles. a Super Bowl up there, exactly. And to speaking of which, the Jaguars almost got to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles, and now you're bringing in Nick Foles, and you already saw that rapport in the preseason game. Where, and I'm not basing it off the fact that he targeted him a ton in that game. I'm just basing it off the fact that D.D. Westbrook is almost like Antonio Brown light. Now, it's not Antonio Brown. I said light. But we, we heard that. Yeah. So, but if you're looking at that wide receiver core, DJ Chark is still not completely developed. Uh, Marquise Lee is not 100% healthy. DD Westbrook could easily get 100 receptions too. I think both of those guys going past 100 in drafts are guys that, to your point, finish inside the top 50 at wide receiver, even top 25, top 20. So moving forward, if people want to follow you, they want to read your articles, they want to keep up with your your updated rankings. Where can they find where can they find you? Well, the easiest way is on Twitter at All in Kid, as mentioned before, because I tweet out everything, and that will show you all the links. I actually, I even came up with the hashtag check the link. I made T-shirts with Link from Zelda on it. The hashtag <laughs> check the link. If That's want, an old reference. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> I do. It's, it's actually the 8-bit version, too. That if, I should have brought you one. I'll, I'll get you one of the T-shirts. Looking forward to it. I'm a large, by the way. Uh, if, <laughs> if, you, if you go to theathletic.com, you, you can actually get 40% off. If you go slash, this is really simple. This is the name of my podcast for anybody out there. Is slash all in sports. No underscores, no anything like that. Just all in sports, all one word. It's 40% off your first year. So you're not just getting my stuff. You and I were talking about before we came on the show. If you're looking for anything for your favorite teams, it's the best writers in the world. It's every, all of the major, four major sports. NASCAR is on there. They're doing everything at this point. So if you come for me, that's fine. But you're getting all the you're you're buying the icing when you're getting me, and the cake is everything else that's on the. So athletic. you're getting it all together. You're yeah. getting the whole cake. You can have your cake and eat it too. Well, Jake, as always, it's good to catch up with you. Thanks for all of the insight, and uh, I'll let you know how I do in the draft. And of course, we'll probably talk in ten weeks, and we'll have to do this again. <laughs> of course. But uh, that's going to do it. I want to thank uh, I want to thank Jake Seely from the Athletic. Uh, follow him as he mentioned on Twitter at All In Kid and his podcast All In Sports. Uh, great insight on fantasy football which millions and millions of people participate in and there's going to be a ton of drafts this week so hopefully you listen to this today tomorrow or saturday prior to your draft this weekend and hopefully you got some information that's going to work out pretty well for you 
As always, if you like what you heard, please like and follow the Hall Call podcast on SoundCloud. You can always find the most recent episodes on our website, www.vasportshof.com, and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at VASportsHOF. I'd like to thank ESPN Radio 94.1 for their support, as well as Thomas Simmons, our executive producer. Until next time, I am Will Driscoll, and this has been the Hall Call Podcast. Podcast.